I wanted to begin by talking about a story that I had forgotten. Because I think when we face something like we have seen this week, when we face what honestly seems like lunacy and wickedness, sometimes maybe we think it's too much for us to pray about. Maybe it feels too real for us to pray about. It's one thing praying about our emotional states or the emotional states of our friends, but is it too much? Do we have the faith to pray that God can make a difference in the world? Well, I was working uh, on this, uh, this parable the other day, and I was reminded by the Lord, I think, of something that I read quite some years ago and which I had forgotten about. I'd like to recommend the book Thanking God to you. Uh, Thanking God, it's by Artie Kendall. Um, you can download it from Kendall. It's available still in paperback. But it's actually about, um, it's about positioning ourselves spiritually. Because it's so easy to, to um, reflect about and concentrate on what God has not done rather than to remember what God has done. Over and over in the Psalms and throughout the scriptures, we are told to remember. We're told to remember what God has done. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we're told to remember the Exodus. We're told to remember the rescue from Egypt. We're told to remember the gift of the promised land. We're told to remember the purpose of God that is sustained throughout the centuries from Abraham leaving Ur to the moment when the new Jerusalem comes. We are told to remember, remember the purposes of God. In 2 Corinthians 1, we're told, no matter how many promises God has made, and he's made lots, they are yes in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, he has kept them all. Jesus Christ has kept them all and therefore we can, say, we can say amen, we can sing amen, we can join and be caught up in praise and worship because no matter how many promises God has made, he has kept them in Jesus Christ. So we have to be people who remember our past. We have to be people who remember the cross and the resurrection at all times because whatever we're facing and who knows what we're facing, Whatever we're facing, we face it remembering who God is and therefore who we are and remembering that purpose that began in creation, that purpose that started in Abraham leaving Ur, goes all the way through to the new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem and beyond. That's not the ending, that's just a new beginning. We have to be people who remember, remember who God is. In the 10th chapter of the book, Thanking God by R.T. Kendall, he talks about the prayer movement during the Second World War, which I have to confess I had never heard about. Have you ever heard about it? A few of you. I had never heard about it. There was a national day of prayer on the 6th of May, 1940, at the height of the Dunkirk crisis, hundreds of thousands of allied expeditionary force troops were trapped in France. 
There was a national day of prayer on the 6th of May, 1940, and churches were packed with people pleading for God to rescue us from this desperate situation. Um, What followed, historians are still puzzled by. They have no idea. No one can explain why Hitler paused his armoured divisions 15 miles from Dunkirk. They could have won the war. Speaking historically and militarily, they should have won the war in that moment. But after the day of prayer, he paused. And then there were six days of unusual consecutive calm in the English Channel. Six days of unusual consecutive calm. And 334,000 soldiers were rescued from Dunkirk in those six days. 334,000 soldiers in the six days after that national day of prayer. And we as a church have forgotten. We're not a church that remembers in the UK today. We're not a church that remembers. Oh God, our help in ages past, our help for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. That is the chime that rings from the civic center every hour. And yet we have forgotten how good God has been to us in the past. And when we face a situation like we face in Ukraine, we we, we struggle to pray because we think, well, what difference does it make? Six days in May 1940 tells you all you need to know about what difference it means, what difference it makes to pray as a nation, as a people, as a church. And I remember with some shame that I've forgotten that. And I remember with some shame that at the beginning of the pandemic, the church locked its doors. We couldn't gather. It was illegal to do so. And the church nationally signed up to that. We have to be people who remember. We have to also be people who remember what God is like. Luke's introduction to the parable is really interesting. At the end, he says, parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That that word not give up could mean not lose heart. But the root of the word is is cowardice. It's actually not having the courage to keep praying. We lack the courage to keep praying over the long haul. Jesus wants us to be more like this irrepressible widow. Widows were really vulnerable in the culture of the time. The fact that this woman has to go and speak on her behalf We need to note that. That means that she has no male relatives who can do so. Um, Women were not allowed to speak in court. Uh, Their testimony was not valid. 
We can talk about all kinds of things about that, about how irredeemably sexist the system was. But she has no leverage. She has no one to speak on her behalf. And the judge that she's dealing with, well, what's the leverage? He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what God thinks. Please pray for President Putin that that he might remember that he is accountable to a higher authority. Pray that. Pray that he might come to his knees. And pray that if he does not, pray that his power will be stripped from him. Pray him Pray for him to repent. Pray for him to turn from his ways. And pray that if he does not, his power should be stripped from him. This judge is accountable to no one. He doesn't care what the community thinks. He enjoys the power, the prestige, and the bribes that come from his position, and he does not believe himself to be accountable to God. This widow has no one to speak on her behalf. She has no leverage. And yet, Jesus says, be like that widow when you pray. She's like a woodpecker. She just never gives up. She is at him day by day by day. Those of you who have children, not a huge number of us here, but those of you who have children and those who are children, remember what pestering is about. (laughs) Actually, we are being told to pester God. We're told to be as irrepressible in asking as this widow is. We're told to just keep doing it. When he talks about, you know, when he's got this monologue, the the judge says, you know, the phrase there is almost like she's going to strike him. It's going to strike him in the eye, that she's just going to be at him. She has the courage to ask and to keep on asking. She will not stop. In some senses, because she has nothing left to lose. She probably can't afford to bribe him. That's why the case has gone against her. So she has nothing left to lose. And therefore, she takes her courage and she steps into the, into the fray and she keeps going. She keeps going. Jesus wants our prayer to be as courageous as this widow. To not give up to not face a situation like we face at the moment in the world and think, there's nothing I can pray about that. Remember, six days in May 1940. And then again later on, during the the, the crux of the Battle of Britain, there was another national day of prayer, which the Air Marshal at the time credits as changing the course of the war. Six days in May tell us all we need to know in 1940 about what it means to pray as a nation and for the world. We have to be as shameless in badgering the Lord as this widow was in badgering the judge. And just in case we think that actually, surely the Lord won't want us to do that. Jesus says in verse 7, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep uh, putting them off? 
And the phrase there, putting them off, is actually about patience. Jesus is saying his father is not going to, be, not going to stop being patient with us. There's no end to his patience. He will not be tired of you if you ask for the thousandth time, the ten thousandth time. What Jesus is saying is we mustn't lack courage in prayer. I guess, if we're honest, faith is as often opposed to fear as to doubt. If you were in any doubt about the reality of evil in the world, the reality that there is a spiritual battle being played out in our lives and in the life of the world, um, I think the last five days have shown you that that's real. I don't know whether you saw the utterly shocking picture of a Russian tank diverting to run over a civilian car. Evil is a reality in the world. By the way, the driver survived. But evil is a reality in our world. We need to have not just faith, we need to have courageous faith to stand for Jesus, to stand for the Lord in times like this. I wonder where you lack courage. I wonder what are the things about which you find it difficult to speak. Uh, I wonder the people to whom you find it difficult to speak. I wonder what the risks might be that you are called to take but you struggle to embrace. I think we all have fear. Um, Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the determination to do the right thing despite fear. So I wonder, where do you need more courage to live for God? Where do I need more courage to live for God? Second, you know, you know Luke's introduction says, you know, this parable was told so that we would not give up. We would not lack courage. Second, what's our picture of God when we're praying? You know, Jesus is recommending this picture to us and saying, how much more will God? You know, actually, if a, if a widow who has nobody to speak on her behalf can get this from an unjudged judge, what is stopping us asking God, asking God persistently, faithfully, um, over and over again. What's stopping us? Because we know that God is not like that. So what's the picture? Even maybe what's the monster in the back of our minds that makes us think we can't ask, that we're not allowed to ask, that God will not, that God does not want to? We have to remember Remember the exodus. We have to remember the cross. Even in exile, when they had lost everything, still God's faithful people remembered the exodus and hoped for a return to the land. And that's from that hope, from that faithfulness in exile comes uh, the root from the stump of Jesse, comes Jesus, our redeemer, the savior of the world. We have to be people who remember who God is, what God is really like. 
I was talking in youth church this morning about the parable of the lost son. If you are a Middle Eastern adult, you, you, there are two things you really, really don't do. One is climb trees, which is another story in Zacchaeus, and the other is run. You never run anywhere. Um, somebody I, I once met told me the story of a, of a Palestinian priest who was turned down for a job because, in his words, he walked too quickly to be taken seriously. So the more serious you are, the more uh, dignified you are, the slower you move. What does the father do? What does the father do? He runs. He runs. We think he's just, you know, he's got Strava out or something or other. It's not like that. You move slowly if you want to be taken seriously. He runs to welcome the son home. The, the son who is full of calculation, he realizes this, as he's basically feeding pigs, he realizes, look, my father's got food to spare. My, his hired men have got food to spare. So he doesn't want to be reconciled to his father. His father is his last port in the storm. And what does he say? I'll go home and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your hired men. I don't want to be your son anymore. I just want you to save me from death. And of course, the whole community hated him for what he'd done. It was outrageous. He basically asked, asked that his father were dead. That's what he's really saying when he claims his inheritance. And as the son comes home, we have to reckon the father's been watching the hillside. He's been watching for him to come home. And he runs he runs because he's so full of love that he's so pleased to welcome his son. He runs also to protect him because it's quite possible the village will turn on him and beat him up. So he runs to welcome his son home, embraces him. He puts his ring on the finger. He gives him his best robe. They kill the fattened calf. Why? He's defining for everyone, for the whole community. He's defining, this is my son. I know what he did, but this is my son. And I choose to own him as my son. I choose to embrace him. We've got to celebrate. We need to remember who God is. Remember the God, the Father that Jesus has shown us. It says Ephesians 3.12, In Jesus and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So let's not treat him like he's an unjust judge. Jesus is saying, how much more? How much more can we expect the Father to intervene? How much more can we expect the Spirit to be present with us? How much more can we know him as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, even in this current crisis? So what are the pictures lurking in our hearts and minds that make us think, that he's like an unjust judge that we can't ask. Make us stop. I mean that the faith and the hope uh, drains out of us and the fear fills us and we stop. We need to remember who Jesus has shown us the Father is. We need to remember that he has breathed his Holy Spirit over us. We need to remember Remember the Exodus. 
Remember the conquest. Remember the cross and the resurrection. Remember who we are. Remember Abraham leaving Ur and remember the new Jerusalem that is to come. None of that is at risk today. None of that is at risk. We have to be people who remember who the Lord is. And in the end there, Jesus says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's saying, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Not will he find Christians when he returns, but will he find this kind of faith, this kind of irrepressible, bold, courageous faith, this, this faith that claims everything that God has given for us, this, this faith that says no matter how many promises God has made, they are kept in Jesus and therefore, therefore we can rejoice, therefore we can pray, therefore we can pray with such courage and such hope. Therefore, Jesus said, ask to seek to knock. Uh, to seek suggests that not all prayers are instant. At least when I've been looking for something, it doesn't often come straight away. It's to ask to seek to knock, and it's, it's called the present continuous sense. It has the sense of ask and keep on asking. To knock and keep on knocking. To seek and keep on seeking knowing that sometimes prayer is not answered instantly. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes just the whole process of keeping asking forms us and grows us. I remember Bill Johnson, who's a, a preacher I have a lot of time for, he was talking after his father had died of cancer. And he was basically challenged, what, what, what does this tell you about praying for healing? And he said, well, we pushed at the thousand pound rock and it didn't move. And, you know, he's full of those kind of folksy stuff. And he said, well, what does that mean? And he just said, well, next time we'll have confidence pushing at the 500 pound rock. We'll have confidence in pushing because we've been formed by the process of stepping into it. So to ask to seek to knock... Where have we given up? Where have we never really entered the fray? Where are we scared? Scared of what we see happening in the world around us. Scared of the reality of evil. We should not be scared of the reality of evil. We know, we know the cross shows us the reality of evil, just as the resurrection shows us the triumph of glory and good and grace. The whole of Jesus' ministry is a battle against evil. Sometimes it's really, really obvious when the demons are screaming at him. Other times it's not. But the whole of it is a battle against evil, against sin. So we have to be prepared, courageous to step into that. The Lord wants us to have persistent faith wants us to keep on going, wants us not to give up in prayer. He wants us to have courageous faith, knowing that the reality of, the, of, of what we face needs courage, needs courage to stand up and be counted, needs courage to keep resisting, needs courage to be prepared to break the sound barrier with friends and in other places. 
And we need to remember who we're talking to. We need to remember that he's incredibly glorious, that he is amazingly loving, that he is also almighty God. Isaiah 6 is an amazing passage where Isaiah has this extraordinary encounter with God in the temple. And he's overwhelmed, over, he's ruined by the sense of his unworthiness. And the angels are singing. The angels are breaking grammatical rules, just in case you hate grammar. The angels, in Hebrew, there are only two. If you want to say something is good, you say it's good, good. But there isn't a superlative in Hebrew. You can't say something is best. What the angels are doing is breaking the rules of Hebrew grammar. They are saying that God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. By definition, beyond imagination. So we have to have that reverence, but we also have to have the joy in Jesus through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Like a child coming to ask for the 75th time for a biscuit that day. He's going to be patient with us as we keep asking. Six days in May, 1940. Tell us all we need to know about the power of prayer in this environment when we're facing a crisis like this. Six days in May. Six days of unnatural flat calm on the English Channel. Hitler deciding not to proceed with his armed divisions 15 miles from the beach and 334,000 soldiers rescued including my granddad, who was injured at Dunkirk, shrapnel in his head and woke up in Birmingham. Remember the power of prayer. And of course, the power of prayer is remembering the one to whom we're speaking. And when we're speaking to the Lord, we're remembering Abraham leaving Ur, the new Jerusalem to come. We're remembering the exodus. We're remembering the cross and the resurrection. We're remembering that he has kept every single one of his promises in Jesus Christ. And that's why the people say, Amen, because he is the one who keeps his promises. And therefore, at this moment, we need to be courageous. It is a scary world. We've gone, as my daughter said, from one global crisis to another without a break. It's a scary world. We need to be people, not just of faith, but people of courage, people of persistent prayer, and people who love the Lord and trust that he will come through.